Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. My name is Marta Pardavi. I'm the co-chair of the Hungarian Helsinki Committee, a human rights organization in Budapest. Uh, currently, I'm also a policy leader fellow at the School of Transnational Governments at the European University Institute. And I'm a regular listener and, and a fan of Bishagat Insights. I actually listen to it over the weekend when I'm doing laundry, and it's a great way to to uh, get up to speed on what is happening in the Visegrad region. It gives a lot of color and coverage to issues that otherwise do not get the attention they deserve. It's 16th of June 2021 and uh, we're watching European Football Championship. Uh, we have a particular eye on the V4 uh, teams and Marysia uh, Chupka uh, is here with me. My name is Wojciech Przybylski. Uh, let's start by evaluating chances of the V4 teams to uh, to score and to make it to the next round of the of the championship. Marysia, w- what are your highlights? Who, who, who's winning? Yes, so uh, definitely when it comes to football, uh, the V4 is following the 2 plus 2 format yet again. So uh, Czech Republic actually uh, won with Scotland 2-0 uh, this Monday in uh, Glasgow. Then we had um, Slovakia winning with Poland in Petersburg on the same night. And yesterday, Hungary lost against Portugal. Well, it was a good match and I think the, the in uh, we should we should honor the stance uh, Hungary has been a few times even, you know, a, a worthy adversary of Portugal in the past uh, football matches, but but this time yeah, they uh, they they scored they scored zero, they scored null and Portuguese got three. I think by setting some some record on the um, some, some record has been uh, set uh, by uh, by that match uh, to the advantage of, of the Portuguese. And overall, we cannot really expect much success uh, from from the Polish team, uh, unfortunately, despite the atmosphere around uh, the championship being really heated here in Warsaw. Poland's a nation of miracles, you never know. And there will be, there will be of course, uh, next matches and we'll, we'll see what's was it the result? But but it's uh, Sweden and who else they're playing with? Uh, they're playing against Sweden and, and one other team. And Spain indeed. Oh, that's <laughs> not going to to be very yeah, good for us. But anyway, uh, so you see emotions are high and there are also other teams uh, from the region playing in the uh, European football uh, championship. But of course, that's all in the call in the in the context also of political events, and we might focus on those. So, Marisha, what are your highlights of the week? So, if we if we are to speak about uh, football, it would be it would make sense to mention uh, the debates around the big comeback of Donald Tusk to Polish politics, who is often being compared to uh, Robert Lewandowski. Well. Uh, 
I have, I have to say, I have frankly have never heard that comparison. Yes, they're both Polish. Does it mean that uh, I don't Tusk is playing in a German team? That's uh, the PIS narrative about it. But then he scores goals politically. Well, we haven't seen him scoring goals for quite some time recently. So, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure really uh, about the comparison. But I'm also. Even more importantly, I'm not sure that Donald Tusk is really coming back. Uh, there, there are some voices indeed in the in the public debate in the media, uh, kind of a seasonal topic for Poland to always debate whether some knight on a white horse is coming back to save the country and, for this matter, the opposition. And and that's a theme that's uh, everlasting. It's a very evergreen theme in Polish political culture, at least since the communist times, if not earlier. We always had this miraculously comeback, uh, someone who might be mir miraculously com coming back um, to save the country. Never happened in the history. I don't see good reasons for Donald Tusk also to, um, to succeed in that. Definitely he'll be committed. He's continuously committed to the um, to the cause of getting his party back on track and with good reasons to be worried about the prospects of the country overall uh, but his chances to succeed personally as a leader of the opposition are all dependent on on a multitude of um, uh, factors including personal ambitions of the new generation of uh, of the yeah, of a civic platform. Politicians, uh, Boris Budka on one hand, Rafał Czaskowski, but then there is also Szymon Hołownia. It's going to be very interesting to, to see, you know, any progress, uh, if there is any progress in that respect, but I wouldn't, mm, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on this topic. Um, that, is, that is a fair point. And meanwhile, on the other side of the political spectrum, we had PIS party meeting held uh, earlier this week, where apparently, allegedly, uh, Kaczynski explained um, to his party why the elections will be held in 2023 and not earlier. Uh, additionally, the Minister of Education, uh, Czarnek, um, is trying to introduce more restrictions on NGO holding civic education uh, classes in schools. So there, there are protests to come this week in Poland uh, regarding that from the, from the teachers and uh, civil society organizations. And when it comes to um, state control over education, uh, we also should be speaking of Hungary, uh, where a bill, uh, where a bill banning promotion of sexual of homosexuality, uh, was just passed, uh, referred to as uh, child sex abuse law, uh, but it's, which is total bullshit. Uh, not to say that child abuse is a bullshit uh, topic, but uh, this is primarily, as I think you uh, you were explaining uh, earlier in discussion uh, prep for this podcast, this is really uh, looking for uh, um, public villains, in this case LGBTQ uh, um, uh, people whom Orban wants to 
target with his polarizing divisive uh, narratives just as he used to do with the migrants uh, before i mean migration is still topic number one but now it seems uh, no migrants in the vicinity of hungary no topic even on the broader european scale except maybe one exception we, we might touch upon this and really, this is uh, this is looking for a for a for a topic that will substitute the real problems in the country. Exactly. At the same time, uh, there are also concerns of international human rights organizations and civic society over how this legislation will affect the uh, LGBTQ communities. Uh, so, so this is definitely a, a very important topic and it should also be emphasized that this is the kind of legislation that is inspired by similar legislation introduced in Russia in 2013 and then later um, pushed for in Poland. So there's definitely this analogies that, that we should be drawing here. And don't you also think, Wojtek, that... This is an attempt of Orban to divide the opposition uh, in Hungary, since Jobbik, the uh, party that is normally part, um, that is part of the opposition, but it is a conservative right-wing party, voted for passing that bill. Well, it, it might be possible. Uh, definitely, Viktor Orban is trying, as the united opposition is... Uh, ranking higher in opinion polls than the government, at, at least in a few last ones. So this is um, this is a search for topics that would, you know, uh, put a wedge between the opposition parties that have been, even you would say, miraculously united in the in the recent past. But um, I'm not really sure this will divide the opposition for real. Um, I mean, we're looking at uh, uh, at similar tactics and strategies and the response in Israel uh, that managed finally after 12 years to, uh, at least for the time being, secure power, take it away from, from the leadership of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is using very similar tactics to, to or Viktor Orban on, in his domestic playground. Not to mention also that the two seem to be very... Uh, very good buddies um, politically and and on on a personal level. Uh, so I think this is uh, yeah. So this is as you say, this is a, a case, a, a substitute topic in uh, in the absence of of uh, immediate um, immediate presence of migrants on the borders of Hungary. But the migrants are also becoming a topic uh, in the vicinity in Central Europe in in a very vicinity of uh, Lithuania, where uh, Alexander Lukashenko is literally importing uh, people from Iraq uh, by planes, then to put them on the border with Lithuania and, uh, and manipulate uh, with the sentiments of uh, the Lithuanian society and the problem uh, exactly on the EU borders, where Lithuanians deployed already more resources to the borders, uh, building refugee camps, uh, applied for some support from Frontex, and we will see this topic perhaps rising. But still, this is uh, something much more artificial. I mean, it goes as long as the planes fly. This is not the 
land and sea route uh, through Turkey and through the uh, Western Balkans. Nevertheless, yes, an important topic to watch for. And Vojtek, why is uh, Lukashenko doing this? What is he trying to achieve here? Well, he's building up a problem to which he wants then to pretend to be the only solution. The the migration of um, people from Iraq to the European Union through such uh, such a, a transportation route is uh, is creating burdens and it's potentially increasing tensions within the society within the EU again on the topic of migration. Uh, so I think Mr. Lukashenko is trying to create a problem a little bit like with political prisoners. He's taking more prisoners and more prisoners every day um, are being captured by the regime there so that he can have a, nego- a, a negotiating position, a, a bargaining position ahead of the upcoming sanctions. Uh, sanctions are definitely coming. It, they, it will hurt him. So... The more he build, the more the more problems he builds up to be resolved later on. The uh, the more chips are in his um, hands. Other than that, uh, eyes this week are on Bratislava and Geneva, of course, where there is a famous Biden Putin summit. Um, so how about uh, Globsec summit in Bratislava yeah, this well, week? Well, we are partners in in crime again. Uh, Globsec is one of the uh, top regional conferences with global outlook on on security, on on the issues of hard security, but cyber security, but also democratic security. This is why we got interested in the first place, and for a number of years we've been present, and now we're partnering up with Globsec again. For Globsec participants, we have uh, special discount codes to subscribe that's important but we also run a number of topics related to Globsec and you can read them online on our on our sites with reports um, that already came up and they are coming up in the in the following week uh, building up on uh, the regional uh, potential of, of a discussion on uh, on again uh, the the big dilemmas or global dilemmas of of security that also concern the region uh, so, yes, the topics of Mr. Biden and Mr. Putin, uh, w- let's leave it for next week. Let's let's sure. have a cool-headed evaluation of what happened during this very packed week on, on, in these summits. But uh, instead, we offer some, some hints and uh, highlights from, from the countries of the region. Sure. And when it comes to Globsec, it is also worth mentioning that uh, this time Pope Francis himself sent uh, the message. To, to the participants, um, talking about ecology, climate policy, um, and uh, really with this kind of appeal to European community that they should be paying closer attention to these issues. Yeah, I think it matches exactly the political strategy of Slovakia. We're also releasing a number of texts comparing green strategies and climate policies of four V4 countries. So do check it online. Uh, Pope Francis' address in Slovakia corresponds in a way to the to the uh, focus uh, of President Chaputova, um, who's been a climate activist and and human uh, human rights watcher merging the two perspectives in one and then being elected as a president of the country. 
Um, interestingly, Pre Prime Minister Orban is not showing up at Globsec as once he did, a few times he did. I'm not sure, maybe he's again worried uh, that um, there is the address of, of Pope Francis and he would not shake hands with him, which is a major scandal again in Hungary, because Pope Francis is coming to Budapest to participate in religious ceremonies and he refused to have a, a handshake and photo op with the leaders of the country. That created uh, um, a political uh, backlash um, in from the government um, on the Pope and I'm, I'm just looking forward to see His uh, Excellency being compared to the uh, to the to George Soros. Uh, well, and yet next chapter of this very vile narrative and 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 crazy stuff going on uh, in Hungary. And also, if we're on the green themes, maybe we should um, revisit the Turov. Czech Polish dispute and uh, what's up with that? What are the news or developments? Well, as you know very well, Marisha, we are, we're following closely. Uh, Poland is in um, in a in a not best shape when it comes to the governing and and managing this crisis. While Czechs are determined and and prepared to to do what they need to do in order to secure a good deal. Uh, Czech side expects a lot of investment, uh, tools to monitor progress on environmental challenges and supports like waterworks uh, development to the, uh, to the people in the region on the Czech side. Um, Poland will need to pay for that. And at the same time, it is being pressured by um, the, the court decision, uh, European uh, Court of Justice decision to... to um, suspend operations or pay the fines. And now Czechs filed um, uh, for increasing the fine. I think that that goes into 5 million euro a day. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is going only to increase their stakes in in the negotiations and, and lower uh, limit options for the Polish side. So all in all, I think the deal is getting very close because the costs are on unacceptable from the point of view of public debate in Poland. I mean, it's hard to expect that Polish taxpayers will say we're saving Turów with 5 million uh, euro a day uh, for the sake of save, face saving the this very government. Even PIS voters, uh, I don't think they would accept that. But yes, speaking of Czechia, uh, last, last one thing perhaps is uh, po political um, uh, dynamics is there very, very interesting with the... Uh, of the Pirate Party getting exactly. um, stronger support, uh, currently at 26%, together with, I think, the party of independent um, mayors. So this makes it this makes the opposition look really strong in Czechia in comparison to other V4, um, given that Babish's party right now has around 20%. Yes, uh, well, he, he looks really desperate. Uh, and from what we hear from our colleagues in Czechia, he's building up or seeking to build up this anti-EU narrative right now to insulate him um, and his electoral base uh, from the influence of the corruption scandals and from the 
from the basically the European investigation into the corrupt nature of uh, of some of his businesses. That will definitely uh, play a role in the upcoming months. Um, but it's also paradoxical and quite funny. I mean, the, 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 at the same time, uh, they're using the European playfield to to advance and to build up the Czech uh, positions vis-a-vis uh, -vis Poland, for instance. So uh, it's a it's a short-term tactics, short-term strategy, especially that among younger cohorts, uh, the theme of Euroscepticism is definitely fading away. We see the data from Eurobarometer. Um, where among Central European countries, support for the EU in Czechia is increasing the fastest by far, uh, by uh, uh, 20, points percentage, 20 percentage points at least, while in other countries it might be even uh, slowly fading away, like in, in Poland. So Czechs, traditionally very, uh, you would say, Eurosceptic as a nation, is once more showing the potential to... Uh, to change and to, to adapt a completely different strategy, a phase I'm actually looking forward to see. I'd like to recommend that you read Marek Strzelecki's analysis of V4's Recovery and Resilience Facility. It's uh, a text that we publish in five parts discussing the details of the economic recovery plans that each of the V4 countries submitted. So far, we published uh, the part about Slovakia, so uh, read that one. And if you want to know more about resilience and recovery plans in Central Europe, watch parts of our last week's debate with Zoltan Pogacza and Filip Konopczyński that is now available on our website. We're turning now to Marta Pardavi from the Helsinki Committee in Hungary. Why Orban is trying to push for this uh, recent legislation? Could you explain what is it all about? And, uh, and to what extent it is uh, a cover-up you know where where he wants to um, cover other topics in the public debate with with this initiative and or how much it is a serious kind of core policy um, initiative in Hungary. There are um, several answers to this. I think it is a, a long-standing issue now in the Hungarian government's narrative to be protective of families, to be protective of conservative values. When you arrive at Budapest airport, uh, you see slogan signs everywhere that this is a family-friendly country. So the Hungarian government is trying to address the Hungarian demographic decline with a very clear agenda of promoting Hungarians having Hungarian children and putting in place policies and also a lot of, of, of narratives about this. Um, the way this is done uh, the way this, this family-oriented policy is rolled out is very often done in a way that is very similar to uh, the narratives that we see in the United States or in many parts of the world. Obviously, um, investigative reports uh, have also uncovered that the financial sources of this extremely conservative uh, 
alliance are transnational. And so it's not um, an original Hungarikum, a Hungarian idea, but rather I think a template, um, and the narrative is a template that is used in many parts of the world. But it does respond to a real issue, which is the demographic decline in Hungary. And that's undoubtedly presenting challenges when we look at um, the future of, of Hungary, not only in terms of a, as a nation, but also as, a, as our labor market, so economic-wise too. The other strand, though, which is completely politically motivated and responds to a, to a temporary or, 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 or a new political challenge is that in um, recent months and years, several very unpleasant uh, incidents have come to light uh, whereby Fidesz-linked individuals were discovered to be engaging in conduct that runs completely contrary to these values and, and these, these principled uh, positions of, of an ultra-conservative uh, family-based narrative. So, of course, there was a, the prominent case that was unearthed also by journalists about a Hungarian ambassador in Latin America who was uh, later convicted with a fairly light sentence of child pornography. There is also the case of um, the Hungarian member of the European Parliament, Jozef Sayed, who, of course, uh, uh, was um, was found to be escaping from a from a gay party in December. This was extremely uncomfortable for Fidesz, uh, and several other cases have come to light that contradict the narrative of having a family friendly, conservative, value based society. So. This is certainly something that the government wanted to address by putting forward um, a, a proposal to, to make the criminal provisions, the punishments very harsh for child pornography or anything that violates children's interests. And at the same time, in parallel, I think other stories have come to light, such as the very crucial, um, politically highly charged and extremely important I'd say, worrying advance of China in Hungarian politics. Um, through the Fudan University, this also attracted a lot of attention among the voters, and there were demonstrations taking place in Budapest. And so, um, as usual, I think Fidesz wanted to divert attention away from the narratives, the stories in, that occupy the public, but that are uncomfortable and to divert it towards a, a topic that it has identified already as not being popular. So in addition to the anti-pedophilia legislation, all of a sudden late um, last minute amendments were introduced that basically couple pedophilia with, with LGBTI issues as if they were um, the, the same, conflating these completely different issues. So the new provisions on, on sanctioning um, the promotion or display of homosexuality actually set up a trap for the Hungarian political opposition. As they were rolled into the anti-pedophilia bill, it was very difficult to decide 
for a while for the opposition parties, the now united opposition, what to do. Because if they vote no on the bill, uh, clearly refuting the idea that LGBTI issues are to be conflated or equated with pedophilia, then they could be branded as promoting or supporting pedophilia. So again, this was uh, a very clever trap and the Hungarian opposition had, I think, moments of indecision, which of course angered quite a lot of voters who would otherwise be supportive of the opposition over this um, earlier this week. However, there was again a very large demonstration. I was very pleased to see this. Um, tens of thousands of people, um, thousands of very young people showed up uh, to demonstrate against the stigmatization and the hate mongering against LGBTI people in Hungary. This is, in a way, um, an an alarming issue that this is happening. I remember in 2015 when the uh, anti-migrant hate propaganda started in Hungary, very much according to the similar playbook, then most Hungarians were, of course, not speaking up against this. And those who did, such as the Hungarian Helsinki Committee and some other individuals were receiving a lot of violent attacks. And we see over time how this government propaganda has really shifted public attitudes. Um, Hungary became the most xenophobic country in the EU. But today, um, when it comes to similar stigmatization and, and hate mongering against Hungarian nationals, this is, this is an even worse uh, step. At the same time, the public reaction seems to be far more supportive of LGBTI issues, um, particularly among the younger segments. So I think this gives rise to also some hope that um, when it comes to these issues, people are willing to mobilize um, and to come out on the streets and to, to display their utter dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you expect uh, that the laws that uh, has just been passed are going to also to deteriorate uh, already difficult situation in the media when it comes to media censorship? Because this is a broadband law. It goes you know, in many directions. Uh, what to expect of the mm, of you know discussion on those issues, not only in schools, which has been kind of the primary area of uh, uh, of the legislation, but also but also in the public in in raising up those issues, uh, you know, in in any online or or paper or TV or radio media in Hungary. Certainly, the, there is a very strong media angle to this um, new legislation that was just adopted on, on Tuesday. Um, the promotion and display of, of homosexuality brings uh, sanctions and procedures uh, when it comes to media outlets. Hungary already has an extremely weakened media um, landscape where basically um, promotion of, of any uh, discussion that would be critical of government policies is already risky. This adds very clearly a new level, and it has actually resulted in 
uh, RTL Club, the, the main nationwide um, not government affiliated or, or, or um, uh, funded TV channel to speak out very clearly that this will impact their programming in a way that um, they would not be able to show um, films like Billy Elliot uh, before 10 p.m. They would have to label it as, as only, you know, um, as only for people over 18 years of age. So I think it has firstly created a frenzy probably on the media market, thinking how to adapt programming extremely fast to this extremely restrictive legislation. But also it has, um, and again, I think this is a good sign, it has prompted organizations to speak out very clearly against this and uh, to speak out for tolerance and equality. So we also saw that the Hungarian um, Alliance of Advertisers has also issued a statement. Many other companies, I'm sure, have also um, uh, joined um, coordination mechanisms. There's an important initiative in Hungary of businesses, not only media, which is called We Are Open, who bring together a lot, a lot of large and small uh, businesses, enterprises who not only um, value, but actually profess <laughs> the equality is important in Hungary. So such a, a shameful and harmful legislation prompts people to speak out. It's in, a, in an increasingly polarizing environment. This, of course, polarizes views more. But I think it's important to see that in an EU member state, this, of course, not only is a human rights issue, but it's a media market issue. And media is also you know, transnational. It crosses boundaries. So I really wonder what other um, publishers, uh, media outlets who provide uh, audiovisual services in the EU will be thinking when they look at this Hungarian legislation, will they, how will they um, will they alter their programming, their services, in an in a in the European Union where the Commission itself has made it very clear that um, it will have a strategy and implement a strategy on on equality for LGBT issues. Uh, Marta, last question. Uh, you rightly pointed out to this international or even global uh, dimension of very par particular national legislation. Uh, coming back to uh, to the region, Central Europe, not only international but but specifically the region, we have recently have seen initiative on behalf of the um, Polish presidency in the V4 on the common. Uh, common position on families, on protection and promoting families on the V4 level. That has happened within the 
Polish presidency of the V4. Then there is Hungarian presidency taking over. With all likelihood, again, this is going to be internationalized, put as a, as a, as a regional agenda. How much of that, uh, especially in the light of what you said earlier about international ties, is also connecting, you know, partly to uh, radical right circles uh, in in the U.S., but also how much that plays into the the Russian narratives that are influencing uh, Central Europe. What we've seen with this newly adopted Hungarian legislation is that it. it is very much uh, similar to the Russian gay propaganda ban, but it goes even farther. So it is um, outrageous, in my view, to have an EU member state adopt legislation that discriminates against um, any particular social group. And that does it in a way that surpasses the oppression that is happening in Russia. Now, when Hungary um, advances a pro-family agenda um, and we do not look behind the, the curtain, that might actually come across as a very positive initiative. Of course, families do need protection. They need social protection, legal protection. Um, family is really important. There is no doubt about that. But the way this is being implemented is not to promote Um, uh, a, a modern concept of family, but also to promote, in a, in a way, gender inequality and discrimination. And if this is going to be taken up as a, as a, as a strategy um, in the V4, I uh, fear that the policy measures that are being rolled out in Poland and Hungary will be encouraged to be adapted, exported to other um, Visegrad member states. Now, on this issue, uh, even the Hungarian population has made, I think, progress towards tolerance. And it's very, it was always understood that this is fragile progress, but it was good to see that amid all the human rights and rule of law decline in Hungary, the, the acceptance by the general population that people who are of the same sex can love each other and they actually can be responsible parents, I think is a very good sign. So we see um, the, the dynamics going both ways, but I certainly think that um, it is important for the European Commission, for example, to make it very clear that The, the strategy on equality is really serious and that um, measures and legislation that undermine this very fundamental value, be it done at the national or at the regional level, are not something that we would like to see in Europe. Thank you for listening. This was Maria Ciupka, Marta Pardavi and Wojciech Przybylski on the Visegrad Insight Podcast. 